you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a joy to come together as we look at the Word of God and as we fellowship together and sing songs that honor and glorify the name of the Lord. We recently started our series on a church after God's own heart, and we looked at why it's very important to to consider um, what God's heart for the church is. And um, last week we started by looking at the fact that a church after God's own heart is marked by being gospel-centered. We looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to to uh, verse 1 and 2. Today we're just going to continue on, on that same note of the fact that the, a church after God's own heart is gospel-centered. A church after God's own heart is gospel-centered. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll read from verse 3 to verse 8. Verse 3 to verse 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But for the sake of context, let me just read from verse 1, and I'll, I'll read until verse 8. Um, I read from the ESV. Um, this is God's word. Let us hear what he has to say to us this morning. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. But I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to, the, to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And this is God's word for us. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you, O oh God, that you are faithful. You are faithful, Father, in building your church. You are faithful in speaking to our lives, O oh Lord, showing us areas that we miss and calling us back into your will, O oh God. We thank you that we have your word and, and we can find out from your word as you have uh, given, uh, given it to us, O oh God, um, what you desire. As your word says that, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out the matter. Give us hearts, O Lord, that will be able to search out these matters, O God. And once we have searched them out, O God, apply them and walk in them, O God. Pray that you work in our hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> a, a professor of mine, back in seminary, once told a story of a of a church that had a sign that read out, we preach Christ and him crucified. 
And sure, they, they did preach Christ and him crucified. Whenever they came together, there was always Christ as the center of all their sermons. The, 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 the center of their Bible studies and the center of all the lessons that they learned as the church. But as the years went by, wheat started to grow around the, the church signage. And uh, interestingly, the growing of the weeds around the, the, the sign also spoke of the attitude the church had towards the gospel. In the first year, the weeds covered the words and him crucified. So the, 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 the words that were visible now were the words we preach Christ. And they did preach Christ. You, you would find Christ in their sermons, in their Bible studies, and in all their lessons. But there was nothing about the crucifixion. They, 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 they forgot to preach about Christ and him crucified, and the only thing they could preach was Christ. They had no interest anymore in the crucifixion. They preached Christ who, who was just a moral teacher and nothing more. The following year, the witch grew again. And the witch covered the word Christ. So the words that were visible now were the words we preach. And they did preach. They, they preached about every subject imaginable. They, they preached about politics. When the Guptas did something, that was the sermon for Sunday, they would preach about it. They preached about acceptance and, and tolerance. They, they preached about whatever attracted the masses, whatever brought people in, they preached about it. It was their subject. But not Christ and him crucified. You see, while the gardener of the church neglected cultivating the garden and removing the weeds, and the, the weeds were covering the sign, the church, on the other hand, was neglecting the gospel and allowing the world to darken the light of the gospel. As the, the weeds were covering, we preached Christ and him crucified. The church was moving further and further away from the gospel. Now, my point today is that if we are to be gospel-centered as the church, we first need to know what the gospel is. We, we, we first need to keep the gospel in the center of everything that we do. We cannot say that we are gospel-centered if we don't know what the gospel is, right? We, the, the, the word gospel nowadays is thrown around a, a lot of times, but as when you ask people what is the gospel, they fail to give you an answer. You, you'd find answers like people saying the gospel is the fact that, uh, is telling people that Jesus is Lord. That is a true statement. Yes, Jesus is Lord, but that is not the gospel. You find people saying, 
Okay, the gospel is telling people, Jesus loves you. Okay. True. Jesus loves you. But that is not the gospel. So we need to know what the gospel is. We, we speak a lot about gospel music, but when you listen to the content of, of that music, you find that there is no gospel in that music. I, I remember a song a while ago, um, the, 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 the song went something like this. It, it, uh, I, I'm walking in power, I'm walking in miracle, I live a life of favor, I know who I am. And then there's a part where it says, I am holy, I am, I forgot the, the, the other part. And they call that a, a, a what? A gospel song. But there's no gospel in that song. So we cannot afford to, afford to miss this point. We need to know, we need to establish what the gospel is as the church. The church falls or stand on its understanding of the gospel. I want us to just look at the text here and observe a bit before we even go into detail. I just want us to observe verse 3, what Paul says about the gospel. First of all, Paul says that the gospel is delivered. He says, I delivered to you. The gospel is something that is supposed to be delivered. In other words, it is something that we need to be, that need to be verbally spoken, that need to be spoken out. There, there is an idea among Christians that have been that, that that have been embraced this idea have been embraced that says that people can be saved by looking at your life and so at the end of the day they neglect verbally sharing the gospel in hopes that people will notice their lives and so be saved this idea was made popular by the Pope, I forgot what his name was, I think it was Pope Benedict, who said, uh, it's a very, very famous statement, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. So his idea was, your life can preach the gospel if you don't use words. But that is not true, is it? It should be, this, this statement should be reworded as, preach the gospel, it is necessary to use words. Because if you say preach the gospel, use words as, if necessary, it's the same as saying feed the poor, use food if necessary. So the gospel must be delivered. It must be spoken. You see, shining your light before men does not equal sharing the gospel, right? Shining your light before men is an incentive to the gospel. It, 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 it attracts people to, 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 to inquire about the gospel. It, shining your light is not the gospel. It shows the transforming work of the gospel, the transforming power of the gospel in your life. No one can, you, can look at your life and know that Jesus Christ died for sin on the cross. 
He was buried and he rose again from the dead. No one can look at your life and know all those things. These things must be verbally spoken. And Paul says, for I delivered. The second thing I want us to observe about the gospel is that the gospel is of first importance. It's of first importance. We, look, we see that in verse 3. Paul says, I deliver to you as of first importance. The Greek word that Paul uses here for first importance is a, is a very interesting word. It is, not, it is not concerned with time, as in first, then second. But it is concerned with importance. The Greek word that Paul uses here is protos. This is where we get our English word protein. Protein. In other words, the gospel is that which is essential to life. It is the nourishment of the soul. To neglect the gospel is to neglect life itself. Lastly, or uh, thirdly, I just want us to observe here that those who deliver the gospel must be those who first received it. Look at Paul. Paul says, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. You see that? What I also received. In other words, you cannot share the gospel with someone if you yourself have not received it yet. One cannot be a malnutrition chef, right? Cooking good food for people while you are going hungry. Or one cannot be a homeless property agent. It it doesn't make sense. Same goes with those who share the gospel, those who deliver the gospel. Your life must be proof of the transforming power of the gospel and of the continued sanctification through the gospel. You cannot say to someone, Jesus saves, but you are not saved yourself. Jesus delivers, but you are bound. The power of the gospel that you speak about must be the power that has dealt with you first. Paul says, I deliver to you what I first received. Paul gives his testimony in in, in 1 Timothy chapter 15, verse Chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, he says this. He says that the saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to, 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 to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ might display his mercy, his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So Paul is saying, the gospel that I'm delivering to you is the gospel that has impacted my life first. You see that? Again, the last thing I want um, us to, to, to notice about the gospel is that the gospel is affirmed by the scriptures. If you look at what Paul says when he, he, he presents the gospel, he says it was according with the scriptures. In accordance with the scriptures, in verse, in verse, we, we see that in verse 3, and we see that again in verse 4, that this gospel was in accordance with the scriptures. In other words, 
Paul was not speculating. He was not saying things that ideas that were coming to his head. He was saying something that was revealed by God himself. How many people do we hear today who come and say, God told me this and that, and when, when, when they spew out the nonsense that they say God told them, it has nothing to do with the scriptures. So one thing about the gospel is that the gospel is affirmed by the scriptures. It is in accordance with the scriptures. So Paul here presents to us the gospel, and the question that we must ask is then, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And Paul answers this question by giving us three important foundations of the gospel. Three important foundations of the gospel. And when we look at these foundations, um, these this, this important foundations, they focus on Jesus Christ alone. In other words, Jesus Christ is the entirety of the gospel. Let us look at them. Paul gives us three important foundations of the gospel. The death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. The death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. Let us look at first um, the, the, the first important foundation of the gospel, the death of Christ. And we see that in verse 3. In verse 3, Paul says that Christ, he, he says... For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Paul starts by addressing a vital element of the gospel here. He says Christ died. And this is important because it tells us why it was necessary that Christ died. Jesus, Jesus Christ died on a Roman cross. You see, the cross in the first century was a form of punishment for those who committed crimes. It was a form of punishment for those who, were, uh, who committed crimes against the state and who were against the state and also uh, other uh, uh, political um, enemies of the state. That was, uh, the cross was pointed at those people those were the people who were supposed to suffer on the cross, the criminals. But when we look at the testimony of Scripture concerning Christ, this is what we read. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says this about Christ. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are. Listen to the last part. Yet without sin. Yet without sin. Peter says again in, in, in 1 Peter chapter, 22, chapter 2 verse 22, he says that even when Christ suffered, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Even Pontius Pilate, what does he say? He, he's a man who had no interest in following Christ. He had no interest in following Christ. But after he examined him, he says in Luke chapter 23, verse 4, he says, I find no guilt in this man. In other words, Jesus, according to the scriptures, is the sinless son of God. He never committed a single sin in his life. 
He obeyed the Father perfectly. He, he had a perfect record of righteousness before God the Father. And the Father's testimony is very clear about Jesus Christ. He says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He doesn't say, I am pleased. He says, I am well pleased in him. He's my beloved son. But then why did Jesus die on the cross? If he was sinless, if he was without a crime, why did he die on the cross? What makes his death on the cross something we must be concerned with? I mean... Jesus was not the first person to die on the cross. Nor was he going to be the last. What makes the, the cross, this cross that he, he died on, more special than all the crosses many criminals died on? Because his was not the first cross. What makes this cross that Jesus Christ died on the center of Christianity? The Apostle John gives us insight into that question. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, listen to his words. He says, you know that he appeared, he's talking about Christ, he appeared to take away sin. And in him, there is no sin. So Christ appeared to take sin. In other words, the death of Christ on the cross speaks of our condition. It speaks to our condition, the condition of sin. The Bible tells us that we have sinned against the holy God. That because God is holy, he demands that something be done about sin. God cannot let sin go. He cannot overlook sin. Sin is a direct offense against God. And this charge... It's not just on a few people in a far away place. It is against the whole of humanity. It is against you and me. Paul in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, he says this, For all, not some, not, not, not many people, but he says all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all, you can put your name there. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And again in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he says, The wages of sin is death. And the problem is, we cannot make ourselves right with God. We, 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 we can see the problem, that the problem is sin, but we cannot do anything about it. We, there is nothing that we can do that can attract God to save us. Even in Isaiah 64, verse 6, it says that even our righteous deeds, our righteous works are like a polluted garment. That word is very graphic in the Hebrew that he uses for a polluted garment. He says, our righteous deeds are disgusting in the face of God. 
whatever good that we do, that we think will earn us the favor of God, before him, it is something that is disgusting. It is something that is puke-provoking. And because of our inability to do anything, we are left helpless, hopeless, under the righteous wrath of God. We are hopeless. We are weak. We cannot do anything to save ourselves. We are in the dark. We are under the righteous wrath of God. And here's what makes the gospel good news. I mean, this is why the gospel is good news. I know the word gospel means good news, but this is what makes it good news. Notice the text, or what Paul says. He doesn't, say just, he doesn't just say Christ died. There are many people who died on the cross. But Jesus Christ, he says, Christ died for our sins. Man, that is good news. We just have to close our Bibles and just pray and thank the Lord that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Hallelujah. In other words, when we were helpless, when we were hopeless, when we could not do anything to gain the favor of God, Christ died for our sins. When we could not do anything, Christ intervened. Christ came in, in, in place of us and died for our sins. His death was a sacrificial death. He was not dying because he was a criminal. He was dying for the criminals. It was a death on behalf of those who were in sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that, uh, it says, But God shows his love in that while we were still sinners, listen to these words, while we were still sinners, not when we were trying to make our life good, not when we were trying to clean ourselves up, not when we were trying to clean our behavior, but while we were still sinners, what are the next words? Christ died for us. This is not a joint venture. We're not working with God to, 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 to come to, 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 to be saved. Salvation is the sovereign work of God alone. It is by, faith, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. For the glory of God alone as revealed in the scriptures alone his death was a perfect sacrifice that gave us life he died the death we deserved he took the judgment we deserved so that we can live the life that he lived the life that we could not live on our own he purchased new life for us Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Oh my goodness. When people asked you what happened to you, 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 you were living a life like us, but now something has changed. This is what you are to quote. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And something that must be noted is that Paul says it was in accordance 
with the scriptures. In, in other words, it was not something that God thought about when Christ was being crucified. You know, running around like a headless chicken, not knowing what to do. Like, what do I do? Okay, okay, I'll make this the, 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 the center of saving faith. No. It was not plan B in the eyes of God. But the scriptures bear witness to his sacrificial death. When he says the scriptures, according to the scriptures, he's obviously referring to the Old Testament. In other words, the gospel in the New Testament was not a, was not a new thing. You see, people in the Old Testament were not saved by keeping the law. That is a misconception that most people have. People were not saved by keeping the law. People were saved by grace through faith in the promise of the Messiah who is coming. Christ. Isaiah, the prophet, spoke about the sufferings of Christ and 750 years before it came to pass. Listen to what he says in Isaiah, 60, in, in Isaiah 53, verse 3 and 5. Verse 3 to 5. <clears throat> Isaiah 53, verse 3 to 5, he says about Christ, he was despised and, and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and, and we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Do you see what, Paul is, what, what, what Isaiah is saying? He's speaking about the crucifixion 750 years before it happens. Meaning that it was always in the plan of God. This is when you say, hallelujah. So we see that the, the first important foundation of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. It's the death of Christ. And, and I want us to look at the, import, the second important foundation of the gospel, the burial of Christ. We see it in, 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 in verse 4a. Verse 4a of chapter 15, 1 Corinthians. He says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Again, that he was buried. That he was buried. You see, after Jesus died on the cross, his body was removed and, and laid into an, in an unused grave owned by a wealthy man named Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea. In, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 27 to and following, Matthew chapter 27, verse 27 and following, verse 57, I'm sorry. Verse 57 and following. Uh, Matthew tells us this narrative of, of what happened after Jesus died on the cross. He says, when evening, 
when it was evening, there was a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen shroud and laid it in his own tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a gray stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. You see, mentioning the burial of Christ is significant, it's important, because first it stands as proof that Jesus really died. He really died, physically died. There, there is an objection. I remember even um, I met a, a, a Rastafarian, and he started sharing uh, the, the Rastafarian religion with me. And I told him I was Christian. And he says, brother, I, I, I just have to, to tell you. I, I, I don't want to hide it from you. Do you know that Jesus Christ didn't really die? I said, oh, okay, what happened? said, no, Jesus fainted. He, he fainted. He, he did not die. And, and, and when no one was looking, he got out of the tomb and ran away. I'm like, ah, okay. But when you think about it, this does not make any logical sense. It makes no sense at all. A lawyer by the name of Pamela Even addresses this false claim by saying this. Listen to, to, to what he says. It is ridiculous. Let me repeat that. It is ridiculous to suppose that after suffering a night of anxiety so extreme as to cause sweat of blood, no sleep, lack of food and water, beatings and, and scourging, labor of carrying his own cross to Golgotha, a crucifixion during which he was nailed to a cross for hours and then pierced with a spear and thereafter being wrapped in 100 pounds of, of spices and, and placed in a cold tomb for a night that Jesus could have lived. Imagine after experiencing that and walking away. The ridiculousness of, of that statement. But people believe it. So the word of God already answers that question. It wants to address it and prove that Jesus really died. That it was not just fainting, it was a death. Secondly, the burial of Christ shows that God was still in control. <laughs> God was still in control. And this is something that must encourage us, even not with, not with just uh, thinking about the burial of Christ, but even thinking about our own lives. That whatever difficulty that we go through, whatever challenge, whatever hardship we, 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 we face, God is in control. God is in control and he knows. He's not looking away. He's not running around like a headless chicken wondering what to do. What do I do in this condition? How do I help? God is not a helpless God. 
He's not a helpless God. So it shows that God was in control. You see, from the perspective of, of the observer, one would think that the death and burial of Christ means that he's defeated. Wouldn't we think it like that? Someone saying, I'm a hero, I'm going to save you, and then all of a sudden, they get hit by a car. And we're like, really? But here we see Jesus Christ still in control, God still in control, not thinking about a plan B. What do I do? Do I search for a new Messiah? God was not searching for a new Messiah when Jesus Christ was buried. He was in control. Because he already spoke about it 750 years before Jesus was buried. Look at it in Isaiah chapter 53 again in verse 9. Listen to this. And they, bury, and they made his grave, talking about Christ. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Talking about Joseph of Arimathea. 700 years before there was even a thought of him existing. Although he had, he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. God was in control even in this circumstance. He was in control even in this situation. So we see that the, 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 the second important foundation of the gospel is the, 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 the burial of Christ. Let, let us look at the third. The third important foundation of the gospel, the resurrection of Christ. We see that in verse 4 to, to verse 8. We're just going to go, um, we're just gonna, um, um, go fast on it. He says that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then, to, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. In other words, the, the resurrection is an important foundation of the gospel. And, and you can see uh, that fact uh, by, by the fact that Paul is, is giving more time to it. He's dealing with it more in depth. John MacArthur says this about the resurrection. He says, the resurrection was the focal point of every other truth Christ taught. He taught his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall, even, shall, shall live even if he dies. The first two sermons he preached after Pentecost, both focused, that were preached after Pentecost, both focused on the resurrection of Christ. Because of that truth, the heartbroken followers of the crucified rabbi were turned into courageous witnesses and martyrs who in a few years spread the gospel across the Roman Empire and beyond. Belief in the resurrection, the truth that this life is only a prelude to, to the life to come for those who trust in Christ could not be ob obliterated or, or destroyed by, by ridicule, prison, torture, or even death. No fear or dread in this life can quench the hope and joy of an assured life to come. Paul says, 
he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The verb that he uses here for, 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 uh, for, 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 for raised gives us an idea that Jesus continues in the character of the risen Lord. He was not raised and then a few days later or a few years later died again. He remains risen. He remains the conquering king. You see, death has been conquered by him. Unlike leaders of, of false religions, they met death and they remain dead even today. Muhammad died and he's still dead. Buddha died. Surprise, surprise, he's still dead. The, 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 the founder of ZCC is still in the grave. But our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, has conquered the grave. Pastor John Ngovu says that Christianity is a religion of an empty grave. Christianity is a religion of an empty grave. And, and think about it. Why is the resurrection important? Listen to, to what, um, how, how John Peter explains it. He says, in order to prove that he died not for his sins, but for the sins of others, and to demonstrate this ability and right to confer forgiveness and blessedness as the Lord of life, it was necessary for him to rise again. Hence, though atonement is secured by his death, yet righteousness comes through his resurrection. So his death and resurrection, his resurrection was to show that life is secured for those who believe in him. Again, the resurrection is also important because one cannot be saved without believing in it. One, one cannot be a Christian without, be, without believing that Jesus Christ rose again. We see that in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul makes this point by saying those who are saved are those who have confessed Jesus as Lord with their mouth and have believed in their heart that God raised him from the dead. In other words, unless we, we, we confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, believe in the resurrection, we cannot be saved. Salvation is not offered any other way. You cannot reject the, 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 the core, the center of, of, of the gospel and still think that you'll be saved. You cannot be saved if you reject the resurrection, because the resurrection is the gospel. To, to show that the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not just a speculation, but a historical fact, Paul gives a list of people who witnessed his appearance. He, he gives that list of people as he, he goes with it in, in verses 5 to, to, to verse 8. He says, he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is Peter. He appeared first to Peter, then to the twelve. When he says the twelve, we know that when Jesus appeared, Judas was already dead because he hung himself. 
The, the 12 is not referring actually to the number of the apostles. It is a collective name for the apostles. They were referred to as the 12. It is like a boy band, right? If there are three guys in a boy band and two, uh, I, I don't know boy bands, so um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of a name, but uh, Backstreet Boys. If Backstreet Boys are, I don't know, three, three people, and then it happens that only two go and perform. They are still Backstreet Boys, right? In the same way, the disciples, the, 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 the apostles, were referred to as the twelve. He appeared to them. Again, he says, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. This is very important. Because the, 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 the Corinthians were denying the resurrection, Paul makes a case by saying Christ appeared to more than 500 brothers, most of whom are still alive. If you are still doubting, you can go and ask those who are still alive. Paul says it's a fact. People were teaching that, no, the resurrection happens spiritually. It does not necessarily have to be a physical body resurrection. Paul says it's a body resurrection. Go ask some of the 500 brothers who are still alive. Again, then he appeared to James. This is very important. He appeared to James. James was the brother of Jesus. If you read the Gospels, you will see that in John chapter 7 verse 5, I think John chapter 7 verse 5, the Bible says that even his brothers is not believing him. But when we look at the book of Acts, we see James as one of the people who are standing strong on the gospel. Jesus appeared to him. And this possibly is when, G when James came to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. He appeared to James, then all the apostles. Last of all, to one as untimely born, he appeared to me also. I want to make this point before we finish. Last of all, look at those words. I want you to look at those words. Last of all, how many times today do we hear people that they have seen Christ? That's what we, people read, uh, write books, right? I met Christ and this is what he said to me. You, you would read a book, a, a book called Jesus Calling or Heaven is for Real or whatever, or whatever book that we, we find today. They say, I have seen Christ and this is what he said to me. Paul says, last of all, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me. <laughs> no one can claim to have met Christ if they are not Paul. Because Paul says, last of all, he appeared to me also. It's very important that everything that we believe be based on the scriptures. There was a book a couple of years ago by a four-year-old I mean, a four-year-old, uh, uh, I mean, they, they, they cannot tell lies, right? No, no, they can, but I mean, by, by uh, I mean, saying I met Jesus, I mean, that is something we must take serious. That is something we must take very serious because it's a four-year-old, come on. 
How can we disbelieve a four-year-old who's saying, I, I, I met Jesus, and then his father started writing books, and, and, and those books became bestsellers, and, and people just were buying those books in bulks because this little boy met Jesus. In 2015, he was a young man. He wrote a letter that all those things were fabrications. There were fabrications. But still, still today, people still buy that book. But he says, those were fabrications. Last of all, Paul says, as one untimely born, he appeared to me also. If we are to make the gospel the center of our lives, we must first go to the scriptures. We must first be informed by the scriptures of what the gospel is. The fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again from the dead on the third day. When we think about these things, when we think about these facts, these are words that should come to mind of the hymn that says, Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified. Freely forever, one day is coming. Oh, glorious day. Amen. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, oh Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we, we do not need to, to speculate or come up with our own ideas of what the gospel is. You have disclosed it and you have revealed it in your word. We have it, oh God. Give us hearts, oh Father, that will seek to know you more, seek to, to familiarize ourselves with the gospel that we may live a life that honors and glorifies your name. We pray, Father, help us as a church to be gospel-centered, that we may not drift away from you like that church that preached Christ and him crucified, and they preached Christ, and then they preached. May we preach Christ and him crucified from this day, day forth and forever until you come, Lord, to take your church, we pray. Amen. Amen. As the gospel is, is fresh in our minds, <clears throat> as we're thinking about what Christ has done for us, and we we come to participate in the lost table and think about what the Lord has done for us and remember what he has done for us on the cross and 
by his death, his burial and resurrection. These are things that we must never forget. These are things that we must always have in our minds, in our hearts. And these are things that must continue to shape our actions, shape our thoughts, shape our speech, and shape our lives before the world. Paul says that this gospel is the gospel that he preached. It is the gospel that we received, the gospel by which we stand, by which we are being saved. So it is the gospel that we must always be thinking of. And as we proclaim the gospel verbally, we come to the table where we proclaim the gospel physically. First Corinthians chapter 11, Paul lays down for us how we are to approach the lost table. He says in verse 29 of chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of Jesus. Let every person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. So we must consider what Paul said to us in his word. God has said through Paul that when we approach the table of the Lord, we must remember that we do it in remembrance of the Lord that when we take the cup, we proclaim the lost death until he comes. And again, we must remember that there's also a warning that we must not participate in an unworthy manner concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And again, that we must examine ourselves. Each of us must examine himself as we approach the table. We practice an open table, meaning that even if you're not a member of the church, you can participate in the Lord's Supper, but you must be saved. That is one thing that is very important. You must know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. As, 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 as we have pointed out, that you cannot proclaim the gospel unless you first received it. So the participation in the lost table is a proclamation of the gospel. So I'm going to call the stewards to the front to come.